0: Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode number 287 of the podcast. um, And I am extremely excited, extremely honored. Uh, I've been following today's guest story for uh, a while now, and I am just blown away that she um, would sit down and chat with me for an hour about this adventure across the pacific ocean um so today we're sitting down we're talking with leah ditton uh leah rode a boat solo for almost nearly 87 days uh from san francisco to hawaii um and man i gotta like just i want you to think for a second about your day today right now think about everything you've done Think about everything you're going to do, right? You know, if you think about a normal day, there's like a million things you're doing. There's thousands of human interactions, most likely, that you're taking on. Uh, It's almost like at times, at least for me, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it feels like my brain switches gears every single minute. And then I want you to think about Leah's day out in the Pacific Ocean with nobody around, like nobody. And we do talk on this. I mean, I think you'd be surprised with how many tasks uh, that people have to take on while they're rowing across the ocean. Like it's not literally just rowing the whole entire time. There's you have to take care of your boat, um, take care of everything on there. Uh, I'm sure your brain is is also kind of strategizing and thinking about like how much food you have left and and, you know, you know how to overcome these obstacles that come up Um, and Leah will talk about all of those. But I do want you to think about just not having human interaction for even a day like I bet you haven't gone a day without some sort of interaction with another human being i know for me i'm trying to think i'm like Psh, i i don't think there's been any day where i haven't seen or talked to or somehow communicated with someone else i bet there hasn't even been more than like 10 hours without that maybe i mean maybe i guess on some solo hikes that I've done and things like that. But but that would be a rare occurrence. And then think about that for 87 days. And think like you'd be craving that so badly. That would be something you're like working towards. And I'm sure your brain gets into like a weird psychedelic state Um that really Leah talks wonderfully about here. And also, it, I guess I should mention, uh, she made a film called 87 Days Alone. Um, and it's about rowing, like I said, from uh, rowing the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to Hawaii. Uh, that's on Vimeo. You can check that out. I think it's like 30 minutes long. Uh, I enjoyed it. And she kind of gets into that there. And you can kind of like see, like get a visual of everything we're talking about on here. Um But man, that idea is just like, it's just mind-blowing to me. And there's probably such, there's probably so few people who have taken on something like that where they've just been by themselves, with themselves, with their thoughts. Um, And so I'm always fascinated when I get to talk to people who have done something like this. And rowing across the ocean, on top of just being by yourself you're also in this vast environment probably so vast it's hard to comprehend and i don't know you probably feel so insignificant while at the same time being the most significant because no one else is around um and so i'm excited to explore that in today's podcast and uh yeah, hope you guys are enjoying these. Hope you enjoyed last week with Cody Townsend. That was a blast. Um like I said, I don't know why I have a goal um these next 15, I want to make them um, really fun, unique, uh interesting things like that. Um obviously I want to do that with all the podcasts. So I don't know if it's just me trying to like <laughs> like reinvigorate myself or whatever in the in the doldrums of February, but but yeah, so that's kind of a goal I set for myself. And and yeah, so let's get into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 287 with Leah Ditton. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today I am super honored and very, very excited to talk to Leah Ditton uh, for the podcast. Leah set the world record um for rowing a boat from san francisco to hawaii across the pacific ocean uh leah tell me if i'm wrong but from my research you did in 86 days 10 hours and five minutes and that's incredible
1: that's right we rounded it up and call it 87 days
0: (laughs) my yeah yeah that makes yeah because you know you you've done this film and i watched the film uh last week And it's called 87 Days Alone Rowing the Pacific. But like 86 days, 10 hours, five minutes, probably is not as good of a title.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't have the same ring to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to kind of start. I mean, here's where I'm really fascinated by anybody who has done one of these like long rowing kind of expedition adventures. Um, Just the fact that you were alone for 87 days like i if you think about it like most human beings on earth aren't alone for even like half a day but but so i want to hear about what that experience was like because that you know along with the physical challenges just like this mental and emotional thing of like just being kind of by yourself that long
1: yeah i was quite curious myself i'd done a couple of ocean crossings so single handed on sailboats so this was my fourth solo crossing okay but each of the sailing crossings were races so they were in race boats and under 30 days so 28 days 29 days 24 days so I really didn't know what it would be like to be out there alone or to be alone for more than 30 days and you know I found out
0: (laughs) yeah is there like so you leave shore and there's probably like a few days or a week or so of adjustment. Like when does it really hit like this, like you, where you're out and you're just kind of like in the middle of adventure and now your brain has like reset.
1: Well, my friend Margaret comically calls it the one month misery mark. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I, I think she was a little off. I think around 40 days you, you give up arriving. You, you it's departure seems so long ago and, arriving is so far away you're in this sort of mid zone and you let go actually of both and you are very much there in the middle adrift in so many ways and then from 40 days onwards it it doesn't actually matter how many days you're out there you've you've kind of let go you've released it could be 150 (laughs) and yeah you you know you'd have other issues by then but (laughs) um, like food (laughs) but um yeah, over 40 days, it's time doesn't have the same sort of linear path. I call it time curved because actually, you know, when you leave San Francisco for Hawaii, you have to go down to south, uh, sort of parallel to the California coast, then the Mexican coast, before the current will allow you to curve west. And even then, your arrival isn't predictable. You can get stopped in your tracks by weather and currents. So. You know, you could say, "Okay, I'm going to be there in 30 days, but actually that could become 50 days or 24. So it's just very elastic time. And that's quite mind boggling in in many ways.
0: Yeah. But it's
1: also quite refreshing that you just you're here. I'm here. There's nothing I can do about that. And now we're in this kind of otherworldly place where the water is this, you know, exotic gemstone blue that sparkles and the sunlight seems so much brighter it's like a heat lamp it's intensely hot and also super bright like the world is now suddenly in you know hd4d or something crazy um kind of tricky in many ways um, yeah. and then you know towards the end of that when you come back out of it you have to sort of reverse this process you're climatized what to be out there and then you have to kind of reverse climatize to be back here and that in a way is always overestimated at how hard that is the reverse part the, the reverse culture shock yeah of coming back
0: well so is there like you're talking about 40 days is there like a buildup of like is there like a weird like emotional release or are you just all of a sudden kind of in this present moment feeling without you know really realizing it
1: um, i think it's like a wave of pattern you know you'll you go through you know frustration maybe even despair and then yeah. and then you kind of come to terms with that so and become kind of content because there's no alternative <laughs> So, i don't think it's a sort of sudden thing it's definitely gradual
0: yeah it's and kind mental. of you're kind of like what's the point of having a pity party right now like i made the decision to be out here and i'm going to be out here
1: right you know and you know, the elements are very arresting. You know, they demand your attention right now. You know, there is waves coming from here or there's this to fix or you need to make water to drink. You know, you you have things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that gets overlooked a lot too. People, you know, think, well, can you call at this time? And I'm like, no, I can't. You know, the only way to get across is to row, you know, a lot. <laughs> <You> know?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, I can never quite communicate that, that I'm busy. You know, and also in a way too busy to be lonely in some ways, Um, you know, there's a big difference between being alone and lonely. And for the most time, you are just alone, very occasionally alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted you to speak to like all the like seemingly endless little tasks that you have to do, because I think if you just read an article and it said Leah rowed across the ocean, you just imagine you rowing the whole time and you're like oh that's all that's all leah had to do was just row but it's like no there's like a billion other things
1: yes and that was important in the film really is to show these yeah. other things you know this sort of boring minutiae of daily life like laundry and dishes and um running the water maker to make water and making food and you know cleaning your body and nursing your feet <laughs> these things are endless and cannot be you know neglected
0: yeah yeah um what like what made you so you mentioned you know uh sailing boats and and i know i'm pretty sure in your film you talk about the fact that you're a pro sailor and have been around the world a handful of times um but what made you kind of like what i guess what drew you to the ocean in general i mean like when you first started doing all this
1: my family's always had boats, but kind of small ones, you know, under 20 feet. And because they were quite small boats, we generally had quite big adventures with not much experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, When people say, you know, what about the 40 foot waves? I'm like, yeah, but a 10 foot wave and a 19 foot boat felt pretty scary age eight, And then it just sort of scaled up. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I did a delivery where I employed my father that I realized you didn't really have a lot of experience. Most of our kind of adventures were misadventures, they were sort of by <laughs> accident. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, boats in general have always been kind of magical entities to me. I've thought of they are to a lot of people passports to other places, to other worlds. And that's why I think it's about 15% of boats actually get used, and people want to own them because they. this idea this like survival pod or this adventure vessel yeah they they represent a lot more than than people actually give give them value to
0: yeah is there any understand that yeah totally is there any like specific misadventures as a kid that stick out
1: and we had a fair few i mean probably the most of our most family famous one is ending up stopping off this prohibited island um between Corsica and Sardinia which was a nature reserve but we'd run out of drinking water so we had to stop and there was like an adder on the beach. <laughs> so and there were scientists who gave us water and then told us to leave. <laughs> um that's the most memorable and that's my father genius. you know famously blamed it on the magnetic anomalies. There were these sort of squiggly lines <laughs> on the chart which claimed that you know to disrupt your compass but I think to be honest we just went the wrong way.
0: <laughs> He's like no 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 no. These were totally magnetic anomalies. Please. that's what I'm going to blame everything on now as a dad when things don't <laughs> yeah. go right was he uh <laughs> when you guys ran out of drinking water was he trying to like play it off like no no no, we're good we're just going to stop at this island for fun like
1: <laughs> yes no my fa- my parents were fantastic at upselling so even though we had a 19 foot boat and there were four of us and we we're on it for six weeks you know my father would wax <laughs> lyrical about how we had ensuite baths facilities and we could swim off the back and you know it was just upselling all the time Like, isn't it great
0: <laughs> oh my god that's incredible that's so cool and like what i mean uh, i mean beyond the you know potential life threatening danger of running out of water but the idea of like you guys just going out and having adventures as a kid like that is so it's so interesting because there are probably moments where you didn't enjoy it but then like as an adult you look back and you remember all the stuff you did enjoy and like want to chase that maybe
1: yeah there's a lot of reverse psychology my parents loved anchoring the boat and not going into marinas and therefore i took up long distance swimming just by desire to get to the beach
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah necessity or to get
1: as a teenager to get away from my parents so there were a lot of things that were you know not quite what they intended but ended up being kind of great Um, for me in in my life
0: Uh, yeah uh,
1: yeah and i think one of the the biggest takeaways is that you don't need money and you'll never be ready You, you know i see a lot of people with um really expensive boats and they're gearing up for these round the world trips and they think they must have this radar and those solar panels and these sails and you know our family just went you know When we were in Southern Europe, most people could never wrap their heads around that a family of four were on that boat this size come from England. Like it was just too, it was too much. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But we just we didn't do it all at once. We did it in stages. But yeah, we just went really with what we had, and and that that's what we did.
0: That's so cool. What I mean, what an awesome way to spend some time as a kid. Um, When so then you know you as you're getting. Like becoming an adult and stuff, like did you intentionally like set out to s- sail and all that, or was that something that kind of like you just had an opportunity for?
1: Yeah, that's the funny part. So as a 14 year old girl, by the time I you know was in my teens, I swore I would never set foot on another <laughs> sailboat again, like yeah. ever in my life. And my father would start teasing me at Christmas and say, if you haven't got a summer job, you're coming on the boat. like this was relentless. Um, and so I do everything to get a, sum, a summer job <laughs> and not have to go sailing with them. Oh so my it was gosh. quite comical that, you know, when I was 21, there I was going, uh, yeah, so I went to Asia and now I'm going to sail home. They're like, what? <laughs> um, but that's how it started. I hitchhiked on a boat coming back from Asia and that was life changing.
0: That's awesome. When when was the first time you did one of these races where you're on a boat by yourself and and you know you said you're going for like 30 days or so
1: yeah so coming back from thailand to turkey that was the hitchhike ride everyone i met along the way said you know if you like sailing you need to go to the caribbean and i was like what (laughs) you know the caribbean and hawaii were places that in the 80s were really expensive to get to. I just never thought in my, my lifetime I would get go to the Caribbean or Hawaii. You know, this is what you know rich richer people did. Um and but then along came the cheap flight era. I mean it, the flight cost just kind of crashed after 9-11. And I was like, right, I'm going to the Caribbean on yeah. a one way. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I did. And I hitchhiked on boats up to the Caribbean. And then in in that sort of period of time i discovered that there was a marine industry and i was like wait what people will pay you money to do this (laughs) uh (laughs) how do i do that but again this was early 2000s and what they meant was people pay women to clean or cook we don't actually want you know you the sailing is for for guys so that was um an uphill struggle for a lot of years was trying to get employed in the way that i wanted to be employed which was actually sailing the boat or you know, having some, a real role other than just, you know, being a servant on boats and cleaning and cooking. Yeah. Um, that took, took some years to kind of get into that. And along the way, I kind of discovered racing. I so, thought, okay, ditch the cleaning. Let, there's no interior to clean. This is <laughs> ideal. We can just do the, the serious sailing part. Like if all these people are really into the sailing part,
0: excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but a lot of the race boats, again, had all all guy rules. You know, there were no girls allowed. And so I sort of, you know, sneak on in some capacity, either as delivery crew or or as cook and, um, you know, began my career that way.
0: Yeah. Have you noticed, like, has that whole kind of male dominance of the sport, has that shifted in the last few, like, 10 years or so, like, as you've been going along? Or is that something that's still, like, pretty prevalent?
1: It shifted, but not enough. Yeah. I mean, there's been concerted efforts in some fields like the America's Cup and the Volvo around the world race to include women, but it's very early days. The big criticism in the early days of the Volvo, and this is really only five, five, ten years ago, was that the women were kind of token women and, and sponsorship mascots. And then, of course, it came out that they were paid a fraction of the, mm. the same amount. So it's it's early days and there's still very few women to draw on the pond is kind of small but there are a number of you know youth programs that are trying to, to change that
0: so. yeah yeah is that something that kind of like drives you or is that you know something that i don't know is that something that as you're going about and setting off on some of these big challenges that's like in the back of your mind or once you're on the challenge you don't even really think about that
1: well, I mean, I've struck out in, in a way and created another path, which is with ocean rowing. Yeah, um, I'd say I, I arrived in sailing too early, you know, the opportunities that are there now for women are so much better Yeah, than I, you know, I might have had a totally different career and I'm almost a bit sad that <laughs> <laughs> I came along before, before now. And, um, but never mind, you know, so I got into ocean rowing where there are still so few women that. You know, it's it's relatively unique, but that comes with its own challenges, like getting funded. It's still um, an issue for women to get sponsorship because largely the decision makers are men in the boardroom, and they're risk averse, especially risk averse to sending a woman out into a dangerous place. Yeah. So you still have these challenges that are a bit unspoken. Um, in in to be successful.
0: Yeah. Did was there any so. I mean, I feel like San Francisco to Hawaii, that's like a pretty, I'm not really into the rowing world very much. Like, I don't know a whole lot about it, but for whatever reason, San Francisco to Hawaii kind of seems like one of the big crossings that people take on. Um, Was there any uh, like rowing challenges you did that like led up to this that like you were kind of using as training and was San Francisco to Hawaii always like the end goal?
1: No, no, it wasn't. So I shipped <laughs> my boat out to San Francisco in 2016 yeah. with a view to training to row from Japan to San Francisco, which okay. is twice the distance of San Francisco, Hawaii. And then when I get out to San Francisco, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you know what? It's a it's a epic place to sail, let alone row. Yeah. And I spent the first year just rowing around the bay, having huge adventures, like within within. uh miles from my home <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean it's an ocean in a bowl which is why I chose it as a great training place because you can row from say to Angel Island round Angel Island or from Tiburon to San Francisco and yet have this you know epic almost ocean-like adventure that's right, awesome uh, within sight of land um, and then the second year after that, everyone kept saying, "When are you when you're going outside the gate, when you're going outside the gate." And then this, by then, the Golden Gate became this kind of scary thing, like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a um, yeah, a few kind of misadventures going in and out the gate because it that's that's it yeah a funnel for wind, weather, water. Um, I mean, it's you know you've got to navigate that really very carefully. Yeah, and even then you can get tripped up. So um the second year to so 2017 2018 I rode down to LA from San Francisco and really you could have just parked it up there you could have said I've had enough like that was a big deal yeah 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 <laughs> 12 and a half days and nearly get uh steamrolled by these trip of waves they call growlers that come around point conception that just engulfed my entire boat jeez <laughs> um and that took, uh, you know, a couple of weeks really to, to mentally get over that. Um, and then so after that, I rode from Portland down the Columbia River to Iwaka, over the Columbia River Bar and then down to San Francisco.
0: That's awesome. And
1: that in its own right was, you know, arguably enough. <laughs> 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 uh, I got circled by sharks for several days and. The Columbia River Bar is a sandbar and it, again it has this river, this deluge of water kind of rolling over it. Was, it was a roller coaster and and boats, fishing boats that saw me out there were so scared at the sight of a human-powered vessel in this ocean, you know, this river bar thing. They kept calling the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard just kept. Get, getting called cool until the coast guard finally came out and said you know what on earth are you doing with oars out here like do you need rescue you must need rescuing because you are here and i'm like no no stop san francisco <laughs> and <laughs> and it was yeah on that uh journey down to san francisco that i thought okay this boat isn't actually suitable for the japan yeah row and that its final kind of route is going to be to hawaii and that's what i did
0: in 2020 That's amazing. So what is it like you keep talking about, you know, going beyond the bridge would be would be enough for a lot of people and going to L.A. would be enough. And like, what is it about you and maybe like your personality that makes it not really enough? You know what I mean?
1: I don't think it's a character flaw as such. I think it's just (laughs) I'm tenacious.
0: It's a character trait, (laughs) not a flaw.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I set myself the goal and these were training experiences. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, I took it as far as I could with the equipment that I had, which was that boat. Um, But always I've said, allowed myself the option to, you know, get out. I, I, you have to be careful that you don't, Define yourself by what you're doing and don't box yourself into a hole where, yeah. you know, really it's too dangerous to do that thing or it's too dangerous for you in, in that equipment. And yet you feel because you've told the, the wider world that you must go through with it. And I think particularly something like Roan Japan, San Francisco, which has only been done twice ever, you know, you need to be very careful of that. So um, even then, you know, when I set off from Hawaii, arguably I should have turned back. And I didn't. And um, yeah, that was <laughs> a yeah, decision that I've thought about a lot since.
0: Yeah. What was the, I mean, so what could have forced you to turn back?
1: Well, before I left, another rower had washed up That's in right. his boat in the Philippines. Okay. And um, even though he was, Woefully unprepared. And by then, most people knew that he took risks that were outrageous. I got sandwiched in his story somewhat. After the Coast Guard called off the rescue for him, his parents wanted to pay me to go and continue the search. And that's a horrible position ever to be in because you want to help. Yeah. You know, that could be you. Yeah. And yet I knew rationally that that was a going to be a terrible waste of money with really no prospects yeah. and so i tried to persuade the coast guard to continue the search on the basis that there were some oversights in the search that they had already carried out one being that nobody had banged on the hull to see if he was inside the boat
0: mm. so
1: five months later i launched my boat to roda hawaii and the next day his boat washes up in the Philippines with his dead body inside. Wow. And I was just devastated because yeah. that was the one thing that I wanted to be ruled out was had he swum back inside and, and he had.
0: Yeah. Ugh. That's so that's in your mind at the beginning. Like, I mean, how can you even, you can't shake that. That's going to be in the back of your mind as you're taking off.
1: Yes. As you're taking off living inside your own boat, imagining, yeah. you know, that, that scenario. But but I did take off. <laughs> yeah. And then several weeks later, Angela, who was ahead of me on route to Hawaii as well, she is found drowned next to her boat. Oh my and so, you know, the, the mental side of this is just beyond belief at this point. And then I capsized. And it's just, I mean, 2020 was a crazy year for really everybody. Yeah. And I was not excluded. (laughs) Yeah. So I capsized and the wave that that took my boat down would have taken any boat down. It it was an avalanche of water that sort of cascaded. I I would have been rolled regardless of whatever boat I was in. Yeah. But my boat did not self-right. So it turned upside down and then remained a clean 180 upside down. And it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to continue rolling the right way up. Yeah. And I recognised that I was in that diagram that the physics teacher had drawn at school about inertia. And if I didn't move that boat right now, it was going to permanently be upside down. And through luck, timing, perhaps or helping wave, I managed to get the boat to continue its rolling Uh, its role and 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 right-sided up but the trauma of that was something that I carried with me for the rest of the trip
0: yeah how do you so I was curious about that when I watched the film which by the way if you're listening it's called 87 days and it's on Vimeo and you can rent it or buy it um but that was the point I wanted I wanted to just I'm just curious like how do you how do you mentally process that trauma? Like when there really isn't any other choice except to just keep going forward, but that's going to be this big thing now in the back of your mind that your boat didn't like write, write itself like it was supposed to.
1: Yes. So when I said, you know, arguably I should have gone back to land. That's the point where I should have turned, turned back. And I, don't, I couldn't know at that time what I was carrying. Like, I couldn't know the impact psychologically that that capsize and then the boat not rewriting would have on me. Yeah. But I, over the days and weeks that came, I sure found out. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and it, you can't process that. You can't process a car crash while you're still in the crashed mm. car. Yeah. You just can't. So I knew that this sort of black hole was awaiting me on arrival in Hawaii. It was a terrible burden to know that this unprocessed event was going to have be forced upon me to be processed afterwards.
0: So it was kind of one of those things where like, I have to put this out of my mind almost until I get through this challenge.
1: Yes. But as the challenge is now unfolding, you're becoming weaker. Yeah. Yeah you know, just by the fact that you're rowing every day and time, Um, and then I roll again, I I capsize again on a perfectly gorgeous day by a set of waves that just roared out of nowhere and just slammed the boat and rolled it over. And I was trying to sleep at the time and that was devastating. Yeah, It was such a struggle to even go to sleep after that. How do you let go when you could be drowned in your sleep?
0: Wow. Did it right side its did it like continue the roll the whole way on that time?
1: It went down, say 180 and then came back up because by then I had flooded loads of compartments with water to for extra weight. Okay. And that worked. Yeah. So that worked. But but the part that I didn't know until months afterwards when I did the math is I was eating a couple of pounds of food a day. So I was in a losing game. Mm. Yes, I had put more water into the boat to add more weight but i was eating the weight out of the boat so in the last 30 days there was actually no more places to put water to counteract this loss that was going on and the boat was starting to become airborne all the time
0: (laughs) that is wild that see that's something like if you just read about someone rowing across the ocean you wouldn't understand those little things like that that end up becoming huge things
1: yeah, I mean, it, it was a major error in the last refit of the boat to, to have taken weight out of the boat. You think that a boat that's lighter will be easier to row; that will be faster. Well, the consequences of that is that if you have waves that come at you, you have nothing to counteract that. Yeah. So I, I paid a very dear price for an error made in a boatyard many months earlier.
0: Wow, that is that is so wild. Um, so. When it comes to a situation like that, where you're now in the back of your mind, you have this concern. I'm just curious, and this is such a like silly way to relate to this, but I ha- I've had moments where I've been by myself for a day, or like you know, you barely talk to anybody for a couple of days or whatever. And I find that when I'm in these moments where there's less kind of human interaction. If a thought gets in my brain, that might not even be like true. It might not be anything that's like logically makes sense. Right. But if it gets in there, it's really hard to like silence that, that worry or that concern. And it kind of like builds itself up until you can finally talk to somebody about it. And then maybe like in the act of talking to another human, they're like, Oh, that, that actually doesn't make any sense. And then you're like, Oh yeah, that I shouldn't be that concerned. Like, is there something like that going on cuz i mean like i said at the beginning you're by yourself for almost 87 days straight like do any of those thoughts build up and if so like how did you kind of counteract them
1: They yeah they do build up and you've got to come up with tools along the way to help yourself Yeah and i think to in the last sort of 30 days last month one of them was when i'd see my mind kind of you know threatening to overwhelm me with these thoughts i'd say right here right now like just right here right now just come back to this moment now and that was really very successful yeah overriding those sort of runaway worries that you can do nothing about
0: yeah it's cool i like the idea of like you're you learn how to control what you can control when you're in a big adventure like this
1: yeah and then, you know, you do, you do wacky things too, like start talking to the flying fish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I really <laughs> wanted to hear about, Leah. No. Uh...
1: You know, every morning there was this sort of a uh, mortuary of small dead fish on the boat and I'd pick them up and go, zoom, 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 and then like fly them off.
0: <laughs> and go, uh, that
1: one's in the Jesus position. Take them to heaven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they flew I, into I, the boat I... <laughs> unexpectedly.
1: Yeah, they were being chased by predators and then they didn't realize there was a boat in the way of their <laughs> exit
0: oh,
1: from no. this predator. And, and then boom, they got they got beached. Um, oh, I remember man. reading a comment on Instagram, this is months afterwards, where somebody had seen one of my, you know, airplane flying fish videos and gone, you are losing it, but in the best possible way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I did my, uh, I was talking to my kids this morning and I was like, yeah, I'm talking, uh to this lady Leah she rode across like she rode to Hawaii across the ocean and of course like every kid wants to know about sharks and and whatnot but like I'm curious because I noticed this in your film like it's really cool to see how much wildlife is out there even when you're in the middle of seemingly nowhere can you kind of like speak to that a little bit
1: yeah and and the shark encounters are really cool I mean I grew (laughs) up you know watching jaws and being terrified jaws having <laughs> nightmares about jaws and yeah. yet every time i mean literally every single time i encounter a sh- shark in the wild i'm just like oh fascinated because you know they have no spine so when they move it's this perfect s curve like wow. continuously and they have personality i know this is really weird this is probably a side effect of spending too much this time is by, the flying fish them, side effect you invest yeah. them with personality <laughs> but yes um and and um, but that's helpful so when I got rammed by a shark in the night, I understood that the shark was not on a mission to ram my boat and hurt me. What the shark wanted was to move the boat to slightly so it would displace the pilot fish, these black and white strategy fish that were kind of my posse under the boat, eating the, the algae that was growing and eat them. Wow. <laughs> so I, I needed to communicate to the shark that I was on board and this was not okay. <laughs> and- so i did this by shining a light in its eyeball and it didn't like that it kept trying to dodge in so now i'm playing this game of chicken with a shark realizing this is a very dangerous game and this could go very badly wrong <laughs> but so you got to know how much to do it and then you know back off the light and then boom the shark was back by the side of the boat and i'm like no 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 back <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's you amazing know. Well, that that and even like all the bird life that you like, you just I don't know, as someone who really, I've never really been around the ocean that often. And I'm sure people who are sailors and people who have traveled across, across the ocean and stuff like they're like, yeah, like this is just something that's common. But as many times as birds were landing on your boat or just being around, you're like, wow, this is this is so cool.
1: Yeah the big surprise of being in an ocean when it comes to wildlife is how much they don't care about you. you think that on land birds r- fly away from you and you know creatures want to flee but in the ocean if you get in the water fish will try and nibble your feet. They assume that you are predator or prey. <laughs> <laughs> and since you're not attacking them you must be edible. And the same is with birds. You could literally touch one of these birds. You could give it a cuddle and it, it it's like it has no point of reference for you, what you do, or, you know, you're not trying to kill it. So, you know, you know, get lost. <laughs> I don't
0: <That's>, care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have but, to ask, then. did you cuddle a bird on the boat?
1: <laughs> I didn't, but, but there's this guy Air Den right now out in the Pacific and he's yeah. like, he's treating them like pets. And I'm thinking, that is really bold. That thing has a huge beak. <laughs> <laughs> but i i would prod them or try and get them off the solar panels because they have claws but yeah. i didn't go as far as you know you know adopt one like he's been doing
0: yeah I, <laughs> I like that part of your film where you're trying to get the bird off of the solar panel i was like <laughs> yeah that is a challenge you you're like bird come on man like i need this i need the solar panel yeah big bird no less <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so Oh, I wanted to ask this too. um, And this is something just for the complete uninitiated. uh, I know that there are certain rituals that people have as they're going off into the ocean or going on these long journeys, like sailing journeys or or rowing journeys. Uh, Is there like a certain ritual that you did on this trip? Or is there a certain ritual that all sailors or rowers do before like is there something where you are kind of like in your brain like this is my way of reminding myself to like respect the ocean
1: um you mean like a ceremony or something yeah
0: <laughs> is there something you do like i don't know i don't
1: know um people christen the boats or um smudge them you know that's an american indian thing um i i like to leave like a navy seal i like to leave with minimal fuss at night with just a couple of witnesses that's it because it's very easy to get emotional you need to go out on an emotionally level platform and when you've got you know friends and family coming to see you off you're never going to achieve that Mm. and the most dangerous parts of these things are the beginning and the end the bits Mm -hmm. near land and shipping and especially the going out the golden gate that's that's a chess game that you are plunged into from the minute you leave the dock and you better play it. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What, what about coming to shore? Like, I know I've, I've a few people I've talked to, they do the thing where they light the flare and I saw that in your film as well. Um, is that kind of like just a ritual thing or is that like a celebration or, or what is that?
1: Yes, that's a celebration. of of arriving it's about the only time where you could legally you set off a distress flare Um, and it's quite a powerful one because those flares are incredibly bright and loud and um, epic and when you hold that light up you feel that you almost become the light and it's warm and you just sort of bask in it it's it's a very powerful moment of liberty and an accomplishment and then you know then you get to land and people think that's the moment i'm like no 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 <laughs> it's that it's that time with the flare it's it's uh yeah i think of myself as sort of the statue of liberty at that point because you've got to hold that thing away from your drip you know <laughs> onto your hand and burn your hands
0: <laughs> yeah you don't want that that'd be a bad way to get to land
1: yeah and it makes epic pictures of course so that's great but it's it's the heat and the light and the brightness of it and just it's a really great way of marking the end of an ocean voyage.
0: Is it almost like this release of what remaining energy you might have left?
1: Well, in the case of rowing to Hawaii, it gave me energy. I was hallucinating. I was so tired and exhausted at that point from my um the hours running up to making landfall in the Molokai Channel. And then when I set off the, the flare, you know, it was like a shot of adrenaline, it was like five coffees. And I thought, dang, why didn't I do that sooner? That was That's what I needed to look <laughs> with it when I arrived. And people said, you're in such great shape. And I'm mean, I was like,
0: <laughs> you should have seen me two hours ago.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. I was talking to the ballast water a couple of hours ago. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, But
1: uh, yeah, my heart rate monitor that I was wearing at the time just hit the roof at that point. <laughs> so,
0: that's incredible. Well, I mean, what a triumphant way. Um, to kind of wrap up the the journey there and i know i so after watching the film i think the <clears throat> like theme that i that i took away from it and it's it's a super interesting theme not only for an adventure but just for like what everyone has gone through uh over the last couple of years of the pandemic and stuff but um it was the idea that everything will change if you hang on long enough. Um, can you kind of like speak to that idea and like how that's kind of like affected you since uh, this journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're in a boat and your only means of propulsion is oars, rowing, then you really have to hang on. I mean, it's you're committed. And we forget that in life we are kind of committed to keeping going, but we often forget that. Yeah. And that if you just stick at something, it does usually come good. Yeah. And rowing gave me that lesson in spades. Almost too much. I'd say I might have gone too far and I hang on too much now. <laughs> 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 it's like knowing when to quit. Is, but um, but yeah, I mean, even, you know, after the year in rowing around the Bay of San Francisco and then rowing down the coast and rowing down the coast again and to Hawaii, I'm kind of I'm proud. Of that i'm proud of all of those stages with all of those missteps and misadventures it was so much more satisfying when i finally made something of it yeah it would, it would have been easy to quit at any of those stages and just say look you know i've done enough or i've done a lot and, and but i'm mostly proud of the fact that i didn't
0: yeah and by and, hanging and by hanging was, on yeah
1: yeah we'll just and yeah, by hanging on. And this was one of the things that I struggled with when I did arrive in Hawaii. I was steamrolled by media attention, probably partly because it was, you know it was COVID or Leah Rosen Ocean. Let's let's give let's focus on that. Um, but people <laughs> were congratulating me on this record, and and I couldn't feel it. I didn't feel like I had achieved anything. I feel like I had so I, I saved myself and my boat, and that's taken a long time to try and marry up what was perceived as an accomplishment this 86 days and breaking the record by 13 days with the reality which was really not quitting saving myself and saving my boat
0: yeah can you kind of talk about that a little more because it it probably is a weird i mean i have to imagine it's it's weird anytime someone finishes a big challenge that they've set their mind to for so long it, there's a little bit of that dip in that like almost like depression you go through afterwards because now this thing you had been striving for for so long isn't there anymore um but it's but for you it's also this processing like you mentioned of just what exactly happened over those 87 days that you really have to like kind of figure out and work out in your own mind can you kind of like speak to that a little bit
1: that's exactly it, really. What you just said is is coming allowing myself the time to understand what had happened because so much had happened, you know, I lost two friends, yeah. and then I nearly died, <laughs> and then I nearly died again. Yeah. and then yes, I saw some sharks and birds and and that was and fish, and that was great, and then I succeeded. but it's very easy for all of the negative to overshadow the positive but I did succeed. Yeah. And I, I, I had a bit of a narrative problem afterwards. People said, yeah, but, you know, wasn't it a great adventure? And I was like, you know, it was, but maybe it was too much. <laughs> maybe it went too far. It was too, it, the cost of it was really great psychologically in particular.
0: How have you, um, have you reframed that at all? Like, have you started accepting kind of like some of the positives from there?
1: It's work in progress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I> but <laughs> and you know, the film was part of the progress, but the film is also really hard. Watching yourself suffer in real time on film is quite hard in itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I almost didn't want to ask about the boat rolling because I'm I saw on the film how how much that that looked really Difficult for someone to deal with, and then I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to bring that back up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah,
1: but, you know, I, I think in true Leo sense, you know, I will keep going, and even that's quite weird in itself. Why on earth would you do another one? <laughs> Why on earth would you go back out there? And, yeah, and I have to come to terms with that again and find some really good reasons, yeah, or quit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. was there I'll any? <laughs> yeah uh is there any so you know you you think about these big moments and you've been asked about these big moments and all that stuff but i always think in an adventure there's these little almost indescribable moments that you have by yourself can you kind of is there any of those that draw you back because sure there's the big peaks and valleys but there's also all of these wonderful beautiful tiny things in between um have you, have you, like, almost, like, attached yourself to any of those in the quest to, like, figure out if this is something you want to do again?
1: I think I will always go back to sea. I will always cross oceans. And it's very easy to overlook the fact that it is stunningly beautiful out there. I think people always want, you know, why? Why would you do this? Why would you exchange you know why would you spend this cost on this thing with these potentially negative consequences but it's the same reason that people climb mountains or you know go fell running it's beautiful you know you are out in nature at its rawest most stunning and so i think i'll always go back out to sea for sure yeah and you know there is one section of the row where we were starting to get into tropical weather conditions so there was a lot of heat rising and therefore squalls in the late afternoon with the sun shining through them. These epic rainbows, I mean, just unreal rainbows, bright purple, bright green in the middle of the ocean. And at a time when I needed that the most, it was almost godlike. And I'm not religious. It was hard to imagine that there wasn't something greater than me sending me rainbows to cheer me up
0: one it's literally (laughs) you're the only person witnessing that like how cool is that
1: you know this painting that encompasses half my world just for me i mean yeah that um those optics are other other otherworldly and very
0: special that's amazing. I mean, if that doesn't want to make you just go out and have an adventure, like I just got chills and I'm sitting here in the mountains. I'm like, let's. I need to go out <laughs> into the mountains. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I hear you. <laughs> so I think with
1: you know with these sort of adventures, it's it's balancing. Yes, there's internal suffering, but keeping your eyes open to the successes of overcoming the internal suffering and the beauty. Yeah. And if you can keep those in balance then it's worth, you know, continuing, even if on it on smaller, you know, smaller levels. But if it becomes too much internal and too much suffering, then, you know, it's not worth it. But if you keep your eyes open,
0: you know, there's a lot to see. That's amazing. Well, we'll we'll wrap it there, Leah, where can people kind of like follow your future adventures in which I'm sure there'll be plenty of? um, And then where can they (laughs) where can they watch the film?
1: sure so i'm rolia rose at ro r-o-w-l-i-a r-o-w on everything and that started with my friends going rolia row like run forrest gump (laughs) and i was just like that's really good i'm keeping that rolia (laughs) row and then the film is vimeo.com slash on demand slash 87 days alone and
0: and i highly recommend it yeah it's really good um awesome well leah thanks for coming on the podcast uh Hopefully, if they make a Forrest Gump sequel, he rows and still, <laughs> they steal and then you get to like get some, you know, props from them for that.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for yeah. having me on your podcast.
0: Awesome. Alrighty, that wraps up today's episode. Make sure you guys go on Vimeo. Check out 87 Days uh, Alone Rowing the Pacific. Um, it's on Vimeo.com. Uh, I'll make sure to post that on all of our sites and put it in the show notes and all that. But huge thanks to Leah. That was so awesome. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to her story as well. Um, it really made me think like she did this in the midst of the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that stuff. And in a weird way i'm sure she was able to kind of process like the weird situation um, that we were all in and i'm not sure i think that's like to take that time and do something like that you know maybe not 87 days (laughs) but taking some days to yourself with your thoughts and like really intentionally just kind of like being with yourself and your brain. I think that's super healthy. And I think that's something that more people, including myself, should uh, strive for and seek at least once a year, once, you know, every six months or, or, or sometime like... And that's what I love about these big adventures that you go on is it does allow it allows me to get that space that i need as a busy adult in the world today like i'm so busy all the time that i feel like i need that space every once in a while so i can just really just talk to myself and be like dude how are you like like how are you going about your day are you living up to your own expectations on how you should be Are you um, really connected with, you know, your core values and are you living up to them? And I think that's like those open conversations that everyone needs to have. And it's really, really easy to avoid those as well and just continue down the path of momentum and and busyness. And you avoid those those more like those deeper ideas and those deeper discussions and and i do it i definitely do it and this year especially has been super busy you know being dad and being husband and and doing the podcast and then also on top of all that working on this film that we're working on it just adds like this extra layer of busyness where there can be days where i'm just working on stuff and just and it's all important stuff it's all things that I love doing and enjoy doing but there are days where I'm not allowing myself that mental break and that mental downtime and to think of someone like Leah rowing a boat for 87 days like I just wonder like I talked with my leadership class this week about paradigm shift that's kind of like one of the things we start with and uh you know the idea of like a shift in your mindset and like something that can something that can change the way you view the world and if you're setting off on an adventure to the extent that Leah did of row in the ocean I'm like there's no way like there's no way 87 days later you're the same human being there just isn't your mindset about yourself and what you can accomplish and the world and your place in it like that has to be changed forever because of that and I think these adventures have that potential they can change the way we see the world around us forever for our lives and so many people avoid doing these hard things and yet I think they're ultimately doing themselves a disservice because they're avoiding the idea that they can change their their view on certain things they can change the way they see the world they can change their perspective if only they'd go out and seek some sort of adventure and for me like that's what i've loved about it and that's what honestly over the last bit of time like maybe i'm just a dude in february snowed into my house and i haven't been able to go on a day long adventure for a while or or a couple days or a week even like i'm just maybe i'm just craving it right now but that's what i think of um and this week i i don't know i was cleaning my basement which is where dad's school was when the lockdowns happened and i had my daughter harper uh and it was the end of kindergarten it was in march and as i was cleaning my basement I found this little paper leprechaun thing and that was our assignment on the very first day we were locked down I can't remember what day it was off the top of my head sometime in March 2020 um, I remember my wife having to work from home my youngest two we took to Uh, our neighbor to she was babysitting them uh, and my oldest had to do kindergarten school at home and it was the first time ever you know like what is happening no one knew what was happening we were all kind of in shock but like I guess we're just doing this now and like I was somehow trying to teach middle school on a computer now and it was like what this is weird and harper's teacher it was saint patrick's day weekend so or the day after saint patrick's day so um her teacher sent this like green leprechaun home and we went in the basement and i set up a little classroom down there and we learned about saint patrick's day that day and in the moment it was really stressful and in the moment it was scary and anxious and like anxiety producing and all that. Cause you're like, what in the hell is happening? But then like, I look back and I found this, this stupid paper leprechaun. And, uh, and I miss, I just, I miss it, man. Like it's just time goes fast. Everyone says that because it's true like time goes fast dude she's in second grade now dad school's over um and i just hope that past chris while he was in dad school while he was teaching his kindergartner like i hope he just enjoyed it as much as he could and i realize like the only way like it is it's just about being present in the moment when it's happening because those moments are just gonna fly by and you just gotta take them in as it's happening and and yeah so that's something this year i'm definitely like aiming towards so so yeah Finding a, a little paper leprechaun brought a lot of feelings <laughs> at like, <laughs> I think I was working out downstairs. It was like five in the morning and I found it and uh, yeah, brought a lot of feelings at five in the morning um, for sure. So I guess I don't know where I was going with that story beyond like just enjoy, enjoy it now. Like enjoy life now. like It's happening for you right now and and that's important right now is important so go enjoy it um so on that note i'm gonna wrap up the podcast for the week i'm going sledding it's gonna be awesome all right talk to y'all next week